0: Welcome Life Center, we're glad you, that you decided to take some time out of Super Bowl Sunday and come worship Jesus. Yeah. Come on. I only got like three people that were <laughs> with me on that. Thank you right down here. How many of you know Jesus is, is more important than Super, the Super Bowl? Yeah. Come on. And, and uh, I'm, I know most of you, are not, you really don't care what's going to happen anyway because Seahawks aren't playing, so... Um, We're glad that you're here this morning. Some of you are wondering, who is this stranger up on the stage? I've never seen this guy before. My name is Doug. I'm uh, one of the newest staff members here at Life Center. And uh, it is a privilege, and honor to be a part of what God's doing in this community. I can't tell you, uh, I don't have time this morning to share with you all the details, but we believe that God has given us both a call and an assignment to be here with you and to believe and to lean into all that he has for us here in Tacoma and in Pierce County, and we are thrilled to be here. Uh, I wanna just really quickly introduce my family. Uh, this is the Myers family. Uh, my beautiful wife, Tasha. We've been married 25 years. I know I don't look old. Okay, the gray hair's giving me away. I can't, can't say that anymore. Uh, we've got three amazing kids Kylie, Caden, and Karsten. Kylie and Caden are in university, so you probably won't see them around too much. Um, but our youngest, Karsten, there, uh, just off my shoulder in the blue shirt. He is one of the newest students at Life Christian Academy, grade 11, and uh, so you'll see him around a lot. He doesn't know a stranger, so give him a hug when you see him. Uh, if he if he's, can hear me, I apologize, son. I'll, I'll uh, take you to lunch later. We, um, we served 20 years uh, as missionaries in Africa, and uh, it was a definite call. Wouldn't have wanted to be there without a call, but this is our current call for this season, and uh, I thank God, again, for the opportunity to be here, and I have the privilege uh, to preach God's word to you this morning. Are you ready to receive it? Yes, All right, most of you. There's a few of you. I'm, I'm just going to pray again in a moment and pray that God will prime the pump for you to receive what he has for you today, because how many of you know Jesus has something to say to his church? Amen? Yes. And he's speaking. I have, I have just loved this series the last several weeks as we have been examining Revelation 2, and we're going to move into chapter 3 eventually. Uh, but these letters that Jesus wrote to these seven churches, and uh, today we're going to be diving into the church at Thyatira And um, that's not the easiest of names to say, but the church in Thyatira, Jesus had something to say to them. And I believe that he's gonna say something to his church here in Tacoma Life Center today as we examine what he had to say to Thyatira. Are you ready for it? All right. Well, before we dive into that, I wanna just share a little story with you because I think it helps us set up what God wants to speak and challenge our hearts with this morning. I remember as a 16-year-old, Teenager, my parents made a transition, made a move. And of course, as a 16 year old, I had to go with them uh, because it meant we were moving to a new city. How many of you know that when you move to a new city, uh, your world is turned upside down? Uh, It's time to find a new community, to find some new friends, right? So I began to do that. And um, my parents were observing some of the young men that I was choosing as friends. And My dad all of a sudden started using a phrase often in my life, and it was a little bit cryptic in that season of my life, but I I now know fully what he meant. This was the statement that he would use. Son, any dead fish can float downstream. Any dead fish can float downstream. Some of you are like, what in the world did he mean by that? Well, let me just tell you, my, my father was very... Uh, intentionally and wisely shaping my understanding of influence in my life. There are going to be all kinds of pressures and influence. In fact, Pastor Tyler challenged us uh, last week with this idea of that in relationship, there is the one who is the influence and the one who will be influenced. In fact, I remember my dad saying the same thing as I was trying to unpack this cryptic message of dead fish floating down streams. And he said to me, son, in every one of your relationships, you're, you're going to either choose to be the influence or you're going to be influenced. And he encouraged me, can I please challenge you to be careful which one of these young men influence your life? Something significant about influence, about us choosing to fight for what we know God has for us versus just going with the flow. You know what I mean? If you haven't taken time to consider the dangers of going with the flow, let me just talk for a moment about what some of those dangers are. Number one, it'll take you farther than you want to go. Number two, it'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And number three, it will cost you more than you ever desired to pay. That is the, that is, those are some of the results of allowing wrong influence in our lives. There's another thing that I think is a danger, and it is the risk of missing out on the destiny that God has designed for your life. Now you may not know what that is just yet. You may be wrestling with that, searching that out. But can I tell you that God's design and purpose for your life is far greater than any ungodly influence will ever introduce you to. There are some dangers to not being careful with what we allow to influence our lives. And I think this is the message for Thyatira that Jesus gives in his letter. And I think the overarching theme, the big idea here is that Jesus was telling the church in Thyatira, and perhaps he wants to tell you today, to hold on to what you have. Look at your neighbor and say, hold on. You guys are not helping me this morning. Hold on. He told me I had to say, hold on. Come on, look at your neighbor and say it with some meaning. Hold on. That was so much better. Hold on. The message is just as pertinent for us as it was for the church in Thyatira. There is something to be held onto, something that Jesus has given us, but there will be influences, there will be currents and things that will try to get us to go with the flow that would try to rob us of all that Jesus has in store for us. Some of you are familiar with John chapter 10, verse 10. It tells us that there is a thief that comes to what? to steal, to kill, and to destroy. We know that that thief is the enemy, Satan, it's evil, and all of his wily schemes trying to steal, kill, and destroy. I love that the verse doesn't stop there. How about you? There's a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There's going to be a current. There's going to be some pressures. There's going to be some things that try to influence your life. But Jesus declared, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Have it more abundantly. But there is a thief that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Let's talk about Thyatira for just a second before we read this letter that Jesus wrote to Thyatira. Like the other cities that we've been looking at, examining, and hearing these letters of Jesus to... Thyatira was a city that was influenced largely by these trade guilds and labor unions. But before we get to all of that, let me just tell you about a little bit about Thyatira. Thyatira um, and this letter to Thyatira, many theologians say is the most difficult of the seven letters. So I would like to just pause for a moment and say thank you, Pastor Tyler for allowing me on the introduction to Life Center and my preaching, that you would allow me to tackle such a challenging passage of Scripture. And thank you, Jesus, for unpacking it for me so that I can help this church. It's, it's one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult, according to theologians. Also, Thyatira, this letter to Thyatira, it was addressing the least known of the cities, the least important of the cities, And the least remarkable of the cities. And some of you are like, that sounds like the city I live in. I'm not trying to pick on Tacoma. I live here now, so i got to be nice. I used to call it Tacompton, but but I I live here now. And so I'm believing that Jesus has got good things for Tacoma, amen? But here's the deal. If you travel very far from Washington and somebody goes, hey, where are you from? Are you going to say Tacoma or are you going to say Seattle? I'm just saying. If you travel outside the United States, you are definitely not telling them you're from Tacoma because nobody knows about Tacoma. Nobody, nobody knows. It feels a little bit like Thyatira. Unknown, unimportant, unremarkable in a lot of ways. But here's what I want you to catch this morning. Neither was Thyatira, and yet Jesus had something to say to his church in Thyatira. How many believe he's got something to say to our church here in Tacoma yeah. today? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. He's got something to say. Do you have ears to hear what he has to say? This city uh, in Thyatira was uh, known for, like I said, these um, trade guilds, these labor unions, if you will. um, And those dominated daily and civic life. You've heard, Pastor Tyler, if you've been here at all the last few weeks, you know the influence of these trade guilds on the lives of these early Christians they they were being forced, influenced, if you will. They were being they were, they were trying to um, live their lives, make their make you know make an income. But the pressures that were there that existed from these trade guilds were heavy and strong. The current of this of this river they lived in was strong, and they were known for uh, their wool, their linen, their leather work, their bronze work. They were known for purple dye. Some of you know about the woman Lydia. Who was a a seller of purple goods, who actually lived her life to honor the Lord and the kingdom of God. God used her mightily. That's a story for another message. But in the midst of everything that's going on there in Thyatira, we have these trade guilds that are, each of them has a patron deity. A couple of those patron deities were um, Apollo, the sun god, who was son of Zeus, which is really interesting because Jesus declares himself the son of God yeah, you got the son of Zeus, but I am the son of God. Only time in these letters that he addresses himself or, or takes on the name, uh, the son of God. Uh, Diana, the fertility goddess, is another significant deity in Thyatira. And they would have feasts and parties to honor these false gods. And at oftentimes, as a part of their celebration, as a part of their, their feasts and honoring, uh, they would mix sexual uh, exploitation, sex, sex and religion, like it was just all part of their celebration. And there was a pressure, there was an influence of people to try to get those who were living their lives with the truth of Jesus to partake and to participate. And in the midst of that, we come across a woman that is named Jezebel, and uh, rather than trying to, to jump ahead, let me just take you to that passage, to that letter, and let's read it together from Revelation 2, starting in verse 18. It says, write to the angel of the church of Thyatira, thus says the Son of God. There it is. He's just saying, hey, listen, you got the Son of Zeus, I am the Son of God. The one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. They would have known very well, fine bronze. They they were known for their bronze. So he's identifying with them. He's, He's talking their language. He says, I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first. He's commending them, He's giving a greater commendation than we've heard so far in any of these letters. I know your works, your love, your faithfulness, your service, your endurance, and I know that it's growing. It's stronger now than when you started. Way to go. Well done. I know about you, but I have this against you. Verse 20, he says, You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent. Can we just push pause right there? And just ask yourself the question, what what do these few words in the midst of this letter say to me about God? What do they say to me about Jesus? He says, I gave her time to repent. Listen, there is a window of time for repentance. There's a window of time for repentance. But can I remind you that as we carry on in this letter, we're gonna find that the time that window is open does come to a close and that we serve a just God and that there will be consequence for those who do not repent. That's the truth of what we find here in this letter. I gave her time to repent, But she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction. Unless they repent of her works, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts and I will give to each of you according to your works. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, You who do not hold to this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say, I am not putting any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. The one who conquers you, who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery." Just as I have received this from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I have to pause right here and pray that God would give us spiritual ears to hear from him this morning. Would you pray with me? Jesus, would you help us today Would you open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds to hear, to receive, and to respond to what you are saying to your church? Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Speak and have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, major strengths. I mean, some of the strongest commendation that we've heard so far to any of these churches, to the least known, to the least important— and yet Jesus says to them, listen, I know there is an increasing love in you. I see it. I know it. There's an increasing faithfulness in you. I know it. I see it. There's an increasing service and endurance, Jesus says. So how is it that a church, I mean, think about it. Some of you are like, yeah, I mean, that, 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 that would fit us. Like, we, we have a love and a faithfulness and a service. Some of you serve and endure through hardship. We just prayed over some of you who have some wind and some waves, some, some trouble in your life, and where do you come in the midst of, of the trouble? You come to the Lord. There's an endurance in that. God, help me through this storm. Some of you feel like you've been through some storms. There's an endurance in you. So how is it? If we can say of ourselves that we too can hear these commendations from the Lord, how is it that a church that has so much commendation, that's getting so, much, so many accolades from Jesus can also get the harshest rebuke? I have a sneaky suspicion, maybe more than a suspicion, that it is because they allowed ungodly influence to teach and to deceive within the church. That's the weakness that we see at play here in the church in Thyatira. They had a whole lot of things going right, a whole lot of things that they were doing well, and yet you can be doing a lot of things right, a lot of things well. You can be commended by Jesus himself, but if we allow ungodly influence in the church, then we are no better than Thyatira. We need need the same rebuke that Jesus gave to them. How is it that a church like this can hear and receive this letter from Jesus? I believe that at least in part, it is due to a truth deficit. If you're taking notes, you ought to write that down. There was a truth deficit in the church of Thyatira. You might remember that as we were looking at the church in Ephesus, they had a love deficit. Jesus calls them back to their first love. Not in Thyatira, Jesus commends them for their love, faithfulness, service, endurance. They have the love, but they're missing truth. How do we know that? How can we see that? We're going to talk about it a little bit, but before we do, I want to just challenge you. What is Jesus? What was Jesus saying to the church in Thyatira, and what does he want to say to us as his church today here in Tacoma? Know the truth. Know the truth. You know, I don't, I don't know a lot about money. I've lived in several different places of the world, and sometimes when I get money in another country, it feels like monopoly money. Like, I don't know the difference between, like, I'm like, how much is this worth? I mean, this, it feels like a lot of money, and somebody's like, no, it's like three bucks, you know? Like, I I don't know a lot about that. but And I, I wouldn't know in this country or in another country how to identify a counterfeit bill. But there are people who are trained to know the difference between real money and counterfeit money. If you work with money a lot, that's probably something you need to know, right? People trying to pull one over on you all the time, trying to get ahead. And so there are counterfeits out there. But how do those who... Uh, can detect a counterfeit? How are they trained? Not by spending hours and hours with the fake, but by spending hours and hours with the real thing. Listen, it's no different for you and I when it comes to spiritual things. We see Thyatira, we see so many in the church in Thyatira who are deceived to believe something that is not truth. They're led astray, they are deceived into something that God never intended for their lives because of this Jezebel who deceives and introduces something that is not truth. We have got to know truth. It's the only way we will be able to detect a fake, to detect a lie, is by knowing the truth. That's right. We've got to spend more time we got to know it. we got to be committed to knowing the truth. Yes, Listen, Satan is deceptive. In fact, it's his job to be deceptive. He's good at it. In fact, he's exceptional at taking what appears to be a truth and just twisting it slightly so that it still appears like it could be truth, but it's not truth at all. In fact, we see it from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden he chooses the most cunning of all of the creation, the serpent. And it says, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, this is Satan in the form of serpent. He says to the woman, did God really say you cannot eat from any tree in the garden? You hear that there's some truth in there, isn't there? But it's not the truth. There's some truth, but he's twisting it. And can I, just, can I just challenge you this morning, Life Center? There are some things in our lives where the enemy comes in very deceptively and he says, did God really say? Did God really say this? And if we don't know the truth, we will just as easily be deceived. Let me just pick on a few things. Did God really say that we are to love our enemies? I mean, come on, Doug. I have a hard time loving my coworker, let alone my enemy. Did God really say we gotta love our enemies? Listen, I, there, was a, there was a woman in our church in Addis and her prayer request all the time was, would you pray with me that God would smite my enemies? I'm serious, that was her prayer request all over and over again. And I thought, how about we pray that Jesus love your enemies? Love your enemies? Did he really say, yeah, but you don't know what they did to me, Pastor. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know how, man, you don't know the words that love your enemy. Did God really say that marriage is between a man and a woman? Did God really say that sex is to be confined to the the marriage bed? Did God really say, ah, that, that one's not really convenient for me, Lord. I, I, I'm not here to pick on just a few little things. My prayer this morning before you enter the building is that the Holy Spirit would soften your heart so that you would be able to identify where it is that deception is trying to sneak into your life. Because it's different for all of us. we got different, different areas. The devil knows what they are. He knows your weaknesses, just like he did in Thyatira, and he attacked them at their point of weakness. We've got to know the truth yes, we do. so that we can discern the lies. Right. Jesus is and continues to say, not only know the truth, but don't play with fire. You've heard it before. Maybe you've said it to your kids. Listen, when I was like five or six years old, my dad told me, don't play with fire. You know what that did? It sparked a curiosity in my mind. <laughs> well, why not? But rather than sitting down, dad, teach me why I shouldn't play with fire, I found a box of matches. I made my way into the bathroom, I closed the door, and I'm learning how to strike a match. It took me probably 10 minutes to get it, but finally, it scared me at first, so I threw it in the toilet. It's like, I don't want to get burned. Dad said, don't play with fire. But then I'm like, that was kind of cool. So I tear off four or five squares of toilet paper. And I lay it on my knee, and I start striking a match again. Finally, I get it to light, and I pick up the toilet paper, and I'm like, let's try this. I light the toilet paper, and that thing ignited faster than I ever dreamt it would. And all of a sudden, it starts burning toward my hand. And I'm like, all I know is a five or six-year-old, blow it out. So I'm (laughs) (laughs) Those of you who are laughing, you know what air, what oxygen does to fire. It starts burning even faster. But in my little mind, I'm thinking, I gotta put more wind on the fire to get it out. So I throw open the bathroom door and I start running through the house with toilet paper burning towards my hands. There are, there, there are like, like little black things floating through the air, still partially on fire. And I'm, I am freaking out as a little boy. All I can hear is uh, my dad coming down. I'm like, I am dead meat, And When I realized that running through the house was not going to put the fire out, I paused and I was like, okay, I'm going to have to drop this because it's going to burn my hand. So I thought, well, if I throw it high enough, maybe it will just consume all of the toilet paper before it hits the ground. So I throw it up in the air and I'm hoping, praying that it will all burn before it gets to the ground. And by the grace of God, I didn't burn the house down. Man, the fear of God and the fear of my father was in me. Don't play with Fire. Man, I could hear it ringing in my ears, and um, I tell you what, I knew in that moment there was a reason for the caution. Don't play with fire. But not only is there a very literal caution with don't play with fire, I think that there's a very poignant spiritual caution that comes with it as well. We see it in this church in Thyatira, this warning that we have from Jesus to this church. See, there was this woman named Jezebel, or she, she was probably actually, that was probably actually a description of this woman. It probably wasn't actually her real name. We don't know that for certain, but it's likely that this was more of a description to help us understand that she actually conjures up the image of evil that was found in the, the vile queen uh, 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 of Israel, Ahab's wife, Jezebel, who was against everything that God wanted for the Israelites. She, she, was, she spoke against the prophets and everything that God was trying to do, she, was, she stood against it. She was trying to control things from behind the scenes. There's a spirit of Jezebel. And by the way, for those of you who want to hop on some kind of like um, theology here, just know that this is a spirit of Jezebel. This, is, this spirit can also be found just as well in men as in women. So don't go home and like try to you know rebuke your wife with the spirit of Jezebel or something like that. Just know that she might as well be you know turning it back to you. There's 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 a spirit of Jezebel that is that is evil. It it actually it actually gives us this imagery of just pure evil against God. And Jezebel, this woman in the church, she was teaching and deceiving many in the church to believe that it is okay to compartmentalize the sacred from the secular world. In other words, uh, listen, listen, this, this is Jezebel's teaching. This is probably what it would have sounded like. Listen, I know you want to serve and honor Jesus. I know you want to do the Christian thing, the godly thing, but you live in a secular world that's just not going to allow that. And so you're going to have to put this part of your life over here And just know that sometimes you're going to have to compromise, you're going to have to make some sacrifices in order to live in this secular world. Don't worry, it's okay, it's not going to hurt anything. Jesus surely would not expect you to be perfect in all of your commitments to him while you're living in this scenario. How many of you know that's playing with fire? That is playing with fire. In fact, Jezebel she really thought that her salvation, her baptism, and the baptism of those that she was leading would protect them, ultimately protect them from evil and the consequences of evil. So let's get as close as we can, and let's just participate in, you know, what we need to, and trust that we're going to be spared from the fire. I can almost see her saying, hey, let's run into this burning building. Trust me, it's going to be okay. Okay. I don't think that would have gone so well. But no, she's deceptive in her ways, just like the devil always is. And she deceived many in the church. Sexual immorality, acts of idolatry in any culture at any time are a big deal to God. Listen, God calls us to holiness, not harlotry. God calls us to purity, not spiritual prostitution. God calls us to follow him, not the world. And listen, I understand that there will be many pressures. The current will be strong that will try to influence your life, try to get you to just go with the flow. But that is not the way God has designed you or called you. He's called you to follow him. In verse 24, as we're talking about not playing with fire, we we hear Jesus address the rest of the crowd at Thyatira. And he says, so These so-called secrets of Satan, or the deep things of Satan, Jezebel taught and deceived that you can play with fire and not get burned. But we know that fire has the potential to bring destruction. I was in Gray Chapel just this last week looking at the photos on the back of the wall. In 1975, fire destroyed this building. But how many of you know that physical fire can't destroy the church? Because the church isn't a building, we are the church, We'll get to that challenge as we send you out today. But we know that fire can bring destruction. That's why we caution physically, don't play with fire. And, and yet, not only can fire destroy, but if fire is used properly, it can also purify. Those in Thyatira would have understood this because of the bronze work that would have gone on there. Jesus you know, defines himself as the one with you know, feet of bronze, He's speaking their language, and and he's also speaking their language when he says that he's the one who has eyes like a fiery flame. If you jump ahead to verse 23, he says, then all the churches will know, this is following the judgment that he will have on those who are playing with fire, the wrong fire. He says, "The, the churches will know that I'm the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Church, don't play with fire. Not only is Jesus saying, know the truth and don't play with fire, but I think finally he's he's calling us to hold on to what we have. I want to remind you that in the early church, they didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have the Bible as we have it. They didn't have the New Testament to, to help show them and demonstrate and teach them how their lives were supposed to look as they followed Jesus. And so what were they doing? They were following the example of Jesus himself and of the disciples and those who had committed their lives to follow Christ. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The word imitate Christ there, the word that, that he uses to, in the Greek means literally to be, to become, to behave. Like what does your life look like? As you follow me, you ought to know how to live your lives. Jesus was known as the way, the truth, and the life. You remember that scripture in John? He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The early, the early church actually became known as followers of the way. Before we were known as Christians, we were known as the way. And that came from that teaching of Jesus, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And that's what these people had to hold on to Jesus as way, truth, and life. Paul says, Imitate me. I'm imitating Christ, imitate me. How many of you know there's a lot of pressure there to get it right? Here's the deal we're not calling anybody to perfection, but we are calling you to direction. Put your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Follow him, not the world when things get difficult, when pressures come, we're called to follow Jesus, to hold on to the truth, to hold on to the way, to hold on to the life that he has given us in him. Amen. Amen? Thyatira was called to be dedicated to something vitally important to the life of the church, and we today have to respond to the same challenge, and it is this. We must hold on to the way, the truth, the truth. In the life. Otherwise, just like Thyatira, we will be deceived, and that deception will delude us and keep us from our destiny. The beautiful thing about each one of these letters is that Jesus ends the letter by talking about a reward. Last week, Pastor Tyler talked about a triple reward. Some of you who are all about the rewards, you got an app on on your phone for everywhere you visit. There are rewards here as well to those who hold on. It reads in verse 26 The one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. He goes on to to say in that passage that um, he says, He will rule them with an iron scepter, He will shatter them like pottery. This is a, a, a direct reflection back to Psalm chapter two. Psalm chapter two has been meaningful me, for me over the years because as a young man, I was called to be a missionary to Africa. Our family served 20 years in Africa. And one of the things that I held on to was that Jesus wants to give us an inheritance of the nations. My parents would speak it to me all the time. We're praying this over you. And this is the promise That Jesus gives to those who do what hold on look at your neighbor one more time say hold on there's a reward that is coming for those who hold on he says the one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end I will give him authority over the nations and he will rule over them with an iron scepter he will shatter them like pottery psalm 2 verses 8 and 9 says ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth, your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. You think, well, that seems a little violent. Here's the deal. The breaking and the shattering is of the ungodly things that hinder those nations from declaring the praise of God. Because God created every tribe, tongue, and nation to declare his glory and his praise. And yet there are ungodly influences that deter, distract, deceive, and keep them from fulfilling their destiny. And Jesus says, listen, if you will hold on to me, I will give to you as an inheritance the nations and you will break off the ungodly so that those nations too can glorify me. He goes on to say that he will also give to the one who holds on the morning star. That is Jesus himself. He's declaring, hey, hold on to me and you will have me. Hold on to me as the way. Hold on to me as truth. Hold on to me as life. And guess what? You will have me. Chapter 22 of Revelation, Jesus is declared the morning star. So in this passage, in this letter, and to us today, he's saying, hold on, hold on. I know you might be discouraged. I know the pressures may be great. I know you've made a few mistakes. But listen, if you will hold on to me, you will have me. You will have me. There's three camps that are addressed here by Jesus. The first is the Jezebel. I pray to God that there is no one in the room that has a spirit of Jezebel. I'm sure I'll hear about it later if there is. But the address to the Jezebel and perhaps, perhaps there might be somebody in the room who has allowed this spirit to come upon you and you have deceived and led people away from the holiness, from the godliness, from the destiny that God has for his people. If that's the case, Jesus says, I'm giving time for you to repent. He said, I gave her time, but she didn't want to. Listen, don't be the Jezebel who doesn't want to repent, who refuses to repent. Listen, Jesus has patience, but the window will close and judgment will come. The second camp is those who were deceived by Jezebel. And I would venture to guess that if we're real honest with ourselves, all of us have fallen for something at some time, believed something that lacked truth. We were deceived. We, we, we bought into a counterfeit. We, we went along with it because of whatever pressure and we were deceived into something that was ungodly. The call to those who have found themselves in that place, both today and forevermore is repent, repent. God, you you know me. You know my heart. You know my ways. I'm sorry for getting it wrong. I'm sorry for not knowing the truth well enough to decipher the lies. I'm sorry for allowing my life to go sideways. Would you bring me back in alignment with you? Repent. It's just a turn. It's a full turn. It's about face. Jesus, I know that I'm, I'm going the wrong direction here, but I'm gonna turn back to you because I know you've got a divine plan and purpose for my life. I want to live on purpose for you. And then finally, the last camp that Jesus addresses is those of us in the church who have allowed this kind of deception to be part of the church and not addressed it. We say, "Well, that's not I'm not a pastor. I'm not it's uh, not my place to, you know, let let somebody in spiritual authority. Listen, you have spiritual authority. At least I hope you do. I hope you're learning to walk in your spiritual authority. And if you're part of this community, can I just call you that when you recognize a counterfeit, when you recognize something that doesn't belong, that you have the courage enough to say, I'm not going to allow that kind of poison in my community. God, forgive us for not doing that when we've seen it. Forgive us for being part of the remnant who are still holding on, but we're, we're cowering over here holding on. God, things are so messed up. I don't know what to do and we're holding on and we're cowering, just hoping that it doesn't affect us. Listen, that is not how God's called us to stand or live. Listen, you are a mighty warrior. And he is calling you to address the things that are ungodly and untrue within the body of Christ and to stand for what Jesus has given you. Hold on to truth. Hold on to Him as the way. And don't allow those things. Don't allow them in your home. Don't allow them in this home. In this community. Listen, I, I want to just I want to just reflect for one more moment. This opportunity for repentance is a window. Jesus is patient. He gives us time. But the window will not be open forever your window of time wherever you find yourself today your window of time to repent and to turn away from whatever God might be stirring or putting his finger on in your life today God's patient but he wants you to respond I want you to respond this morning so I'm going to invite our team to come our pastors and prayer team to come and just make their themselves available at the altar today I'm going to dismiss you in just a moment, but before we do, I'm going to invite you to just bow your heads and your hearts. I told you this was the hardest of the seven letters. But listen, Jesus has something to say to his church, and you are part of that church. Jesus has something to say to you. What's he saying? Do you have ears to hear? And that's how Jesus closes this and the other letters. Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the spirit says to the church. So God, we ask that you'd give us spiritual ears to hear from you. I pray God that you would not allow anything to hinder or block your voice. From coming into our hearts. I pray, God, that it wouldn't just come into our hearts, but Lord, that it would bring real life change. Lord, we know that your word has the power to transform our lives, our thinking, our responses. And so we invite you in that kind of powerful way to do that work in us today. Help us to have ears to hear and the courage to respond. While heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed, I wanna just ask this morning, maybe you're here in the room, you say, I don't know a lot about this Jesus stuff. You know, I just popped in. Maybe you even think it's a coincidence that you're here, but it's not. God is drawing you. He's inviting you. He's, he's, he's pursuing your heart because he has a love for you, a love that put his son on the cross to pay the ultimate price for your sin, for my sin. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I, I don't know what it's all about, but I wanna surrender to Jesus. I, I really believe that I've heard something today that I, I, I want what he has for my life, not just what the rest of the world has for my life. And if that's you today, would you just slip your hand in the air and say, I wanna, I wanna receive Jesus. I wanna surrender to Jesus. I wanna give my life to him. I wanna trust him fully with what he has for me. Thank you. Across the room, hands going up. Thank you for your responsiveness. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hands. You can put them down. Life Center, would you pray together with those who are responding with a raised hand this morning? Would you pray this prayer together with me? Jesus, I trust you. I know that you have a good plan for my life. And I want to know what it is. I want to trust you as the way, as the truth, as the life. So, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to walk for you. Help me to walk with you every day of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we just celebrate those who made a decision today? There's no greater decision than that decision right there. All of heaven celebrates. Listen, we're not done. I know some of you are itching to get out of here. We're gonna let you go. But also, more than letting you go, I wanna invite you to come. If something is, something is stirring in your heart and you know you need to respond, please don't miss a moment to respond. Our team is gonna be here to pray with you if you'd like prayer. We love you. We believe in you. You know we send you out on assignment. We don't just go to church, we are the church. Let's go be the church.